you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, I'm going to be going back to the first 11 verses today. We skipped those verses when we started out. If you would like a Bible to follow along, you don't have one, uh, David will make sure that you get one so that you can follow along this morning. Uh, we need one over here, David. You just ran away from her. <laughs> and uh, one there and back over here. So, if you would like a Bible to follow along, I do use the New American Standard version of the Bible. Uh, I, I prefer that, that translation uh, just because of the literalness of the, of the text. And so, I like that. But, you, you know, we've been going through 1 Thessalonians, and I finished 1 Thessalonians 5 last week. But when our children's ministry took the week or the month off, uh, because we were going through some things on the end times, I decided at that time that we would come back to this passage, and I want to do that this morning as we get into it. Um, just to, to bring you back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the people of, of Thessalonica were concerned because uh, they'd come to become Christians. Paul had come there, and he'd spent some time with them. Some people think only three weeks, but boy, he really... Uh, if he was there for just three weeks, he gave them a lot of wonderful truth. And uh, yet they had some questions because now they believed Jesus was going to come back. But on the other hand, some of their people were starting to die. And what was going to happen to them? It, was, it would be like uh, when Ping went to be home with the Lord this, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, what really took place? Where is she today? What, took, uh, what happened? And so they were concerned about that. And Paul wrote to them, and you remember that in 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, verse 16 and 17, let me read them to you because uh, it, it was something we read a few weeks ago. It says, For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now, that's everybody from the day of Pentecost until today that have died and are in the ground. There's a whole lot more people that have died than are alive today who are Christians. And so when you think about that, there's this resurrection. Physical resurrection is what it talks about. Those bodies are transformed. We talked about that. We're not going to be the same. In the twinkling of, a lie, of an eye, not a lie, in the twinkling of an eye, we're going to be transformed into a... Uh, incorruptible body. We've got these corruptible bodies that deteriorate, but somehow God resurrects that body, uh, resurrects Ping's body, and those who have died years and years in advance, and they're joined again to the spirit and the soul. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's going to be a wonderful thing because there isn't going to be any more pain, and there's no more doctors, and there's no more standing in line at Kaiser to get your medications. There's none of that that's going to be there. There's no more tears, no more sorrow. Uh, it's going to be a wonderful thing when we have a new heaven and new earth. And so they were looking at that, and Jesus' return for the saints, as we looked at it, a few weeks ago, is imminent. In fact, I believe one of the great passages that deals with that, I use it uh, continuously in memorial services, uh, celebrations of life, funerals. But in John 14, verses 1 through 3, it said, Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. And if it were not so, I would have told you. For I go and prepare a place for you. Isn't that great? 
Jesus said that. He says, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. I'm going to get it ready. And he says, and if I go and prepare this place for you, well, then you can be assured I'm going to come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And so we as believers believe that Jesus will <clears throat> come down and, and take us to be with him. Uh, it's called the rapture when we're talking about that part of it in verse 18 of our passage in, in 1 Thessalonians 4, it says, comfort one another with these words. Uh, we, we get anxious about things. You know, there was an old song. It went like this. It was sung by a guy by the name of Doug Odom, and he said, something good is going to happen to you. Something good is going to happen to you. Jesus of Nazareth is coming your way. And I just like to think about it kind of like that today, that Jesus is going to come for us. And uh, those who are not dead, it says, will also be caught up, and they'll be with him. And, man, I just think that's the wow factor. That's where it is, folks. We need to be excited about that. But then Paul went on as he was talking to the Thessalonians in the next chapter, and, and chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, and he began to tell them about what would happen following that rapture called the day of the Lord, and it's when God becomes intimately involved with the affairs of earth. Today of judgment begins with seven years of judgment. And uh, we think of the, the one world government, we think of the Antichrist, and certainly he is there, and you go back in the book of Revelation and you understand that. But there's also a time of judgment on the nations. There's a preparation of that remnant that will go through until the millennial kingdom, and there is a preparation of the nation of Israel as God continues to work with them. And so we see these things, and and remember, when you read the Bible, I've mentioned it several times, but uh, when they wrote the Bible, they didn't write it with chapters and verses. It was just a letter. It, it, and so chapter 4 would just continue on in chapter 5. That's how Paul would have written it. Uh, it isn't as if he broke it and said, oh, here's chapter 5. You've got to get this down. Uh, but as we read it, we just see the whole thing as it comes together. And so I want to read these first 11 verses and uh, we may not get through all of them today, but uh, certainly want to get a picture of what's going on here. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. It says, Now to the times and the epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. You don't, you don't need any more information. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just as a thief in the night. While they were saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with a child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, you're, you're not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day, and you are not of the night nor of the darkness. So then, so then let us not sleep as others do. But let us be alert and sober. That has the idea of being self-controlled. For those who sleep do not sleep, do their sleeping at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober. Let us be self-controlled, having put on the breastplate of faith and the love, a breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, just as the end of the last chapter, therefore encourage one another. Remember in verse 18 of chapter 4, it said, comfort one another. Here it says, encourage one another and build one another up just as you also are doing. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we come today and we look at this passage and I pray that you just open our hearts to understand what it says. Uh, as I look at this passage, if we are believers, it doesn't relate so much to us. It relates to those who will be left after the rapture. But Father, it's important that we understand what takes place. And so uh, give us wisdom and insight as we read these passages to know what you have for us. And let your spirit please give us instruction and guidance, and I pray that we would be open to his leading. Thank you, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me just give you a little picture. We are in what I would call the age of grace. It's a church age, okay? Um, Jesus Christ went to the cross, and when we come to know Jesus Christ, we come through faith. In the grace of God, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not as a result of our works, that we shouldn't boast. It's not about what I do. It's what God's done for me. It's all about God's grace. But as we come into this, this situation here at the end of the age of grace, it talks about the rapture when Jesus comes down. And I, I believe that's the next event that God's got in his program. Jesus comes down. Those who are believers are caught up to be with him. It never says he comes to the earth. It says he comes in the clouds, and it talks about we are caught up, we are raptured to be with him. And then following that begins the day of the Lord. It's a great day of the Lord, and it's a day when God really establishes judgment on the world. Seven years, tribulation. Um, and if you get into the book of Revelation, <coughs> chapter 4 through about chapter 19, you read about that, you read about the judgments that come on the people. Certainly there is the one world government with the Antichrist, but even more than that are the judgments that God brings down. And um, there are the, if you read it, the seal judgments, and, and there are the trumpet judgments, and there's the pole judgments, and uh, they're devastating. Boy, it's, uh, the earth is going to shake and bake during that time. There's going to be some real problems going on for the people who live here. And that's kind of what it's talking about when we move into this passage. And it's not a time that they truly expect to see happening. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Now as to the times and the epics. Um, we could translate that now as to, but as to the times and the epics, he says, You have no need for anything to be written to you. You know, it seems like people always want to know when things are going to happen. Have you ever really thought about that? Uh, how we would we would want people to tell us when things are going to take place. Even the disciples did that. You go back to uh, the book of Matthew. And I want to just slip back there very careful, quickly. You don't have to go there. But in Matthew chapter verse 24, or chapter 24, verse 3, uh, Jesus had talked about the fact that the temple was going to be torn down. Stone by stone, it was going to be wiped out. And in verse 3, it says, as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, 
when will these things happen? In other words, when is this destruction going to happen? And then they gave another question, and what will be the sign of your coming? How do we know? How, we, how will we know when you're going to make it down here? And <clears throat> goes to verse 36. It says, but the day and the hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Well, i got to tell you, folks, I, I can be kind of spontaneous at times. Uh, when we got married, I was probably a lot more spontaneous than Darlene. She has books of what's happening, right, babe? you got your calendar there. Everything's laid out. She knows when it's going to happen. And I'd say, well, let's go do this. Oh, I can't. We're doing this today. And I go, okay. Uh, I, I've, I've really blended a little more in there because I really kind of like to know. If somebody says they're going to come and visit us, oh, yeah, well, when are you going to come? Oh, I don't know. One of these days. What day? Well, we haven't decided yet. We may get in there, you know, next week, a month, two months from now. I don't know. We'll, but we're going to come and see you. And, and my mind is going, I'd sure like to know when you're coming. And uh, maybe somebody just going to come over. We'll come over for dinner. Well, what night? Oh, whenever. Dates, plans. We're kind of that way, aren't we? We like to know when things are happening. Because if we don't, Boy, a lot of times we're busy, we're doing other things, we aren't available, and so we want to go back to that. So in verse 5, uh, they were kind of wanting to know, people wanted to know. It says, now as to the times and epics, brethren, you don't need to know anything. <laughs> For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord, that is a key here. The day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. People aren't going to be uh, aware. Now, in the Bible, you can look at a day, and sometimes it means a 24-hour day. I believe that's true in Genesis chapter 1. But sometimes it's an age, and that, that's kind of what we're talking about here. There's this, this age, this day of the Lord. It isn't just one day, but it's going to be a, a period of time. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was for those who didn't know Jesus Christ. It's, it's a time when they would not be aware and they would not be looking for his coming. In Acts chapter 1, uh, the disciples were looking at Jesus as he was getting ready to go to, uh, getting ready to go to his heaven and he ascended away from them. And in verse 6 of Acts 1, it says, And when they had come together, they were asking him, asking the Lord, saying, Is it at this time that you're restoring the kingdom? There they were. They were asking for it again. And he says, It's not for you to know the times or the epics. There's, there's that term again, which the Father has fixed by his authority. Only the Father knows the answer to that. And so we don't know the precise time. It, it, it is something that will come but it comes as a thief. It comes without our expectations or without the expectations of the people that are there. Well, there's three things about the day of the Lord. And uh, I'll tell you this right now. If you know Jesus Christ today, I don't think you're going to experience it. But we need to know about it. We need to know about it so we can share with others. We need to know so we're motivated to share with others. But in these first three verses, we understand that it's going to be unexpected. It says, 
You yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just as a thief in the night. While they're saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with a child. with child, and they will not escape. Now, I want you to notice something here. Up in verse 1 and 2, he's talking to them. Second person, you. But when we come down to verse 3 and he gets into it, it says, while they are saying. So all of a sudden, he changes who he's talking about, and it's those people who don't know Christ, who are left after the rapture. They, they haven't been taken out yet. And it says he comes unexpectedly like a thief in the night. How's a thief come? Any of you ever have your home broken into? Yeah. We did. You know what? We came home and the place was a mess. But he didn't announce he was coming. I don't know whether there were two or three people in there. There could have been. But he didn't say, hey, I'm going to be over tomorrow and steal all your stuff. Thieves don't do that. They do not announce their coming. They come stealthily. They come quietly. They come when you're not expecting them. I, I, I think it's kind of like a, an earthquake versus a hurricane. You know, they've got a big old hurricane going on over in the south and uh, on the east coast there. And uh, that hurricane, they knew it was coming. They had time to board up the windows. They had time to do everything they could, although it was rather futile for a lot of them because the hurricane just came in and wiped out huge housing areas and buildings and property. But they knew it was coming. But, you know, it was probably a couple months ago. I was sitting in my chair in the office, and all of a sudden I felt this... And then I felt it again, and I went, wow. Either somebody shook my chair, or we had a hurricane. Or, I mean, not a hurricane, we had a, an earthquake. <laughs> so I went in, and I, I said to Brynn, who was in the other office, I said, did you feel that? She said, I didn't feel anything. Was it an earthquake? I said, yeah, I think it was. She said, I heard it. How do you hear an earthquake? I have no idea how she heard that. But, but anyway, it came without my realizing it. Had it been a serious earthquake, it was right up here by the reservoir, had it been serious, it would have shaken everything. But you don't know it's coming. That's how the day of the Lord is. It's something that we are not, people are not going to be prepared for. In fact, it talks about that. You go back to Luke 17. If you have your Bibles, you may want to turn there. We're going to look at a couple of passages very quickly here in Luke chapter 17. Uh, and, and it talks about when the judgment of, of God comes. And in Luke 17, beginning in verse 26 and 27, he talks about what it was like before the flood of Noah. 26 and 27. Let me read there for you. And it says... And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will be when the day, in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It just basically says they were carrying on life. They were marrying, they were getting married, they were giving and married, they were having kids, they were working, they were going to work, they were just carrying on life as you would normally expect it to be carried on. And then Noah, 
who had told them what was going to happen, slipped into the ark, and the water came. There's a pattern here. God pulls his own out first, and then comes the judgment. We go on down to verse 28 through 30, same passage, and it talks about Lot. It says, it was the same as it happened in the days of Lot, and they were eating, and they were drinking, and they were buying, and they were selling. They were carrying on their business. They were planting. They were building. And on that day, Lot went out from Sodom. He quietly disappeared. It rained fire and brimstone from the heaven and destroyed them all. And it will be the same, just the same, on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. And so what I want you to realize as we look at this day of the Lord, it isn't something that is heralded ahead of time for everybody. Now, if they're aware of the rapture, they're going to realize a lot of Christians left. They're not here anymore, but God takes us out quietly, and then there's judgment. And so that's the second thing that's coming after the rapture. And this is what we call the day of the Lord. if, If you were to study the Old Testament, you would have a little better understanding of the day of the Lord because... Uh, it's mentioned in several of our passages in, in the prophets. In fact, Joel, I'm, I just have it written down here. Joel chapter 1 talks about the day of the Lord, and it says on, in verse 15 of Joel 1, it says, Alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and it will come as destruction from the Almighty. It is judgment on sin. It's a day of darkness and gloom, it says in chapter 2, verse 2. A day of clouds and thick darkness as dawn is spread over the mountains. So there is a great and mighty people. There has never been anything like it, nor will there again after it to the years of many generations. In Joel 2.10, it says, Before them the earth quakes and the heavens tremble and the sun and the moon grow dark and the stars lose their brightness. The same picture is seen in the New Testament. Not just in the Old Testament. Chapter 2, verse 20 of Acts, it says, The sun will become dark, and the moon will be turned to blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. If you go back to Revelation chapter 6, and verse 12, and you begin to get into the seal judgments, and it says, I watched as the Lamb broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became as dark as a black cloud, Cloth and the moon became as red as blood. Verse 13, then the stars of the sky fell to the earth. I would imagine there's going to be a great meteor shower and uh, to the earth like green figs falling from a tree shaken by a strong wind. And the sky was rolled away like a scroll and all the mountains and the islands were moved from their places and there's going to be an earthquake that we cannot even begin to understand. Matthew 24, 21, it says, Then there will be great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now. And I would encourage you, if, if you want to know more about it, go to Revelation and, and the judgments there, the sealed judgments in chapter 6, trumpet judgments in chapter 8, and then the bowl judgments follow that. I'm going to finish uh, the message next week. But what I want you to understand is that God is in control. We have an awesome God. 
an amazing God of great power. And he has a plan laid out. And when we look at that plan, and I don't preach on it very much. I don't get into it. It's just come into the passage where we are today. But it talks about the fact that he will come down to, Jesus will come down and receive those who are his own up to himself. They're going to come up to be with him. And then following that, there begins that great and day, uh, glorious day of the Lord when there will be judgment on the people. And God is preparing the world. He's, taking, he's, he's bringing punishment on the nations that have not followed him. He's going to develop a remnant who will follow him into the millennial kingdom. And he's restoring and reestablishing the nation of Jerusalem. Uh, I, I don't preach on that very much. I don't get into it. But we need to realize that God's got a plan. And we're part of it. And God loves us and cares for us. But as we look at some of these things, people get so caught up with it, that's all they begin to think about. But as we look at these things, it should be a motivation for our worship. It should be a motivation to encourage one another, realizing how much God loves you and he's provided for you so you don't have to go through that judgment. In fact, as we look next week, we're going to look at some passages that say we're not destined for that. The Bible says there is no uh, condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no judgment. That's already taken care of at the cross. When Jesus went to the cross, he paid the penalty for our sin. We don't have to go through the rest of that. Uh, we look at the Church of Philadelphia, and I'll mention that next week. Uh, as you go in those first three chapters of Revelation, it talks about certain churches, seven churches that were on the earth. And Philadelphia, there's only two of them that really lived to honor God. But Philadelphia says, you won't undergo the judgment. I'm going to take you out of there. It's not for you. And so we can be thankful today that we don't undergo that judgment if we know Jesus Christ. If you made a commitment to him, you've asked him into your life then you need to understand that, that God's not going to put you through that uh, in the way that the rest of the world will. So we're going to come back to that next week, and we're going to continue on and get a little more into this and uh, probably put up a couple of video, uh, visuals up there so you can see how things are going to go uh, to understand it a little bit better. But uh, let's have a word of prayer, shall we? Father, boy, there's so much in terms of, of what's to come yet. Uh, we get caught up with today. And sometimes we don't think much about what's going to be taking place tomorrow. But you already have it planned out. In fact, before the world was ever created, you had it planned out. It, it's going according to your timetable. <laughs> the epics and times we don't need to know about, but you know them. And I'm so thankful for that, Father, because we put our faith and our trust in you. You are our God. You are our Heavenly Father. We have an intimacy with you, and we can give thanks for that. Now, Father, I, uh, I just pray that you would bless our time as we continue on in the communion service. And uh, as we just stop to reflect on what Jesus did and what it means to us today and what it means to us for the future. Until he returns, it says we're to do this in remembrance of him. Thank you, Father. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.